Friday, October the 23rd, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We've got some baseball talk with you. I'm actually going to pull an interview that uh, came earlier today when I was on the Mike Abadier show, the other show that I co-host. Mike and I discussed the World Series, Games 1 and 2. David Gascon from Fox Sports was on with us for a few minutes uh, at the beginning also talking about baseball. So I'm just going to cut that interview because you know it was going to be a lot of the same stuff I would have discussed here on my own, and I thought there were some good uh, interactions with the, the three of us. So we'll go through that. Make sure to, to download and uh, subscribe to the Mike Abadier show. Going to talk about some horse racing for Friday Keeneland, stable duel stuff for the weekend, Laurel Park, we'll talk about Saturday, they have a nice little Maryland bread stakes card on Saturday, Keeneland, some plays for Saturday there, and then NFL Week 7 with Eric, so we will get into baseball in just a second, before we do, want to let you know about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said Podcast, Thrive Fantasy, do you like to play prop wagers in in the NFL games now a lot of people are very heavy into prop wagering I'm always looking at different props to see if things jump out at me Thrive Fantasy is a DFS app that's built around prop betting so you're going to be building your lineup based on over unders for different props and you're going to be playing in contests where you can play from as low as Two dollars, all the way up to playing in a thousand dollar group contests or head to heads. The big contests each week are generally twenty twenty five dollars or so to enter. And when you download Thrive Fantasy, the app, when you make a deposit, if you use the promo code GINO, when you deposit twenty, you'll get an instant twenty dollar bonus. That goes all the way up to fifty. So up to fifty dollars, you'll get if you make a fifty dollar deposit. Promo code Gino, you'll get an instant fifty dollar bonus. Check it out. Let me know if you have any questions. Thrive Fantasy. You'll see me playing in those contests each and every weekend. Now, MLB. This was earlier on pulled from the Mike Abadier show. It's Mike Abadier, David Gascon, and me talking baseball, Dodgers, and Rays. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. Just a few more minutes with David Gascon before he leaves. Mike, do we want to transition over to baseball? I want to ask him a little bit about the uh, the Dodgers? Yeah, I think so, man, because, you know, we were talking about Flores making a, a big decision, and, he, you know, he might get a little heat for it. A, a manager that I feel is undeserving of the amount of heat he gets, not necessarily the questions that he gets about his moves, because I think they're very relevant. But, David, do you think calls for, you know, Dave Roberts' job are justified or are Dodger fans kind of a little bit spoiled because of their recent success? No, I don't think it's being spoiled. I think it's just if you you look to a man and you said, who's the best team in Major League Baseball, and it's been the Dodgers almost every year for the last four years, there's got to be the thought they finish this thing off. And they've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. They've dominated the National League West, so that's obviously you're getting a home field at least in one round. And the Dodgers have had that. You know, they've gone to the, they've won the pennant three of the last four years, and they haven't been able to finish it and close. And part of the issue that I had doesn't necessarily stem back from 2017, but it stems back from 2018 when they play in Boston 
and he refuses to use his left-handed sticks against David Price because of the sabermetrics and the analytics and how his left-handed hitters could and could not do damage against southpaws. And, you know, it's just a scenario where you're trying to outthink yourself as opposed to, you know, not going with who brought you there. And time and time again, we've seen not only him, but, you know, people upstairs that, you know, take away or do things that leaves you scratching your head. And I think it was a little bit different of a scenario in game seven against Atlanta when he let Julio Urias, you know, close the game out with a three inning save. And he needed to do that in the World Series. And I think game two was reverting back to some old bad habits where you turn it into a bullpen game as opposed to letting Tony Gonsolin ride the high and the low waves. I hated it. I, and, I, and I've been up and down with Roberts too. Um, I think, you know, some of the things like he's done a great job pulling the string on Kiki this this postseason. Like every time he's he's made the move for Jock, put Kiki in, boom, he's gotten a hit. A positive there. And the thing that you mentioned, which is funny, it, it's sort of a blessing in disguise for Dodger fans. That whole thing that happened in 2018 was the reason why Cody Bellinger came back and became the the 2019 MVP because he he really took right. it upon himself to like, okay, I'm gonna make sure that this never happens to me again. I'm never getting taken out of a lineup. I I just I agree with you. And the one thing that Mike and I have discussed a lot, David, um, is do you think it is all Roberts or do you think it is more of a combination of Roberts making the decisions? Because I think if if the Dodgers don't win the World Series this year, or, or I guess maybe get, or getting there may help, but I was going to say if they had lost maybe in the last round, we would know by how they handle Roberts if they're making the decisions or not. Because if they keep him, then I think it's a lot. They're a big part of the decision. If they let him go, then we know that maybe he's doing a lot of things more on his own or has a little bit more of the final say than it seems. Well, don't forget, like Roberts was a player who actually his game was was all about making contact, getting on board, and then being placed in motion. And the Dodgers, the Dodgers don't have a bunch of Adam Duns in their lineup. Oh. And while they hit for power. There's some guys that hit for contact, and they have good wheels, and they need to be placed in motion. And one of the things that's great, I know we're crossing the streams, but Bill Belichick is a master at changing on the fly or doing something completely unpredictable. If the week before he was pass-happy and his quarterback was throwing 40, 45 times a game, the next game he'd come back and run 35 or 40 times. Like, Roberts just sticks to his his guns, but doesn't put guys in motion, doesn't go hit and run, doesn't put pressure on the defense. Now, I will defend him in this standpoint is that a lot of his offense isn't predicated on just the home run like it was two, three, four years ago. These guys are taking a ton of pitches, and they have great discipline. They have good eyes. Like, Matt's, Mike Muncie for – as poor of a batting average he had this year, I think a lot of that was on bad strike three calls that went against him, not on him, per se. Um, but I, I do think that a manager is not supposed to have this major imprint on a game, but I think he's supposed to do things that add wrinkles to either an offensive or defensive approach that get the opposition on edge or make them think about something different. And, you know, we haven't seen the Dodgers bunt. We haven't seen the Dodgers go hit and run. And I know that there's a DH, 
But when you have these shifts on, like Tampa Bay will apply or Atlanta will apply or San Diego applied or Milwaukee did, like go against the grain and put the honest on the defense and on the pitcher to make moves. Because if they think too much, they make a mistake pitch, the Dodgers are very capable of going yard. So, David, if if the Dodgers don't win the World Series, does he get Doc Rivered? I think so. I think... I think you you look at two things. You look at whether Kershaw performed in another game and whether Roberts performed in another game. Because you can't tell me that the Dodgers aren't better than Tampa Bay. Dodgers have a potent offense, great pitching, and Tampa Bay just has one of the two elements. They can hit deep, but their strikeout tendencies are high, and they're not a station-to-station team. The Dodgers are, are a better team all the way around, top to bottom, even with the issues that they have in the back end of their bullpen and and closer role with Kenley Jansen but they have one through nine plus a DH they have all the firepower that you need that's capable of dominating the American League no matter who they're playing and so for them not to finish it this year you'd have to make Roberts go he'd have to be the fall guy completely agree with you man last question before you're off the hot seat are you watch what's your watch tonight the NFC least matchup or the presidential election uh, debate. Uh, I go. I got two TVs. I go presidential election, and then I go college football. Yeah. <laughs> there you and go. Then, and then I go. And then I go NFL. Appalachian State, Arkansas State. Yeah, I gotta get to it. But good stuff there, so. man. Appreciate you coming on with us. We know you're tight on you time. And Thanks, David. Every minute that you spend with us, bro. Hey guys, we'll leave things off. David, have a good one, my he friend. He was just starting his other show right there, I think. Did you hear him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think awesome. he was going from one to the next, too. So, good uh, stuff there, man. That's great. I mean, he was literally just finishing up and then getting right off and, uh, and starting again. So um, Yeah, and when you guys finish listening here, change over to Fox Sports Radio and uh, continue the conversation. He'll probably get more in-depth about this. He's got pretty strong feelings about it. Uh, I've kind of been a Dave Roberts uh, defender, Gino. Yeah, I'm going um, back and forth. You know, because I know um, because he's, he's gotten you there, and I yeah. always wonder what's a succession plan. And 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 my like my whole thing is I genuinely, generally, genuinely do not know how much he's making the final call. Because just like what David said, it's so weird because the Dodgers don't do a whole lot of what he did as a player. They don't really take on his you know small ball type attitude. So it is kind of fascinating. Maybe if, if if he's just the puppet, and hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, puppet's a bad way of saying it. Like if if he's just there to be more of a make sure the stars, you know, are are all feeling good, everybody's happy. Make sure your players are all good, and we think that we have the, the enough talent that we're like that's going to win out. I understand that, but um, like I I don't like I never like the Dodgers ever doing a bullpen game ever ever. It's you, you're not going to out Tampa, Tampa, you know, if you're, especially when you're playing against them. And I would completely agree with David Sensen that just let Gonsolin go five innings and then start picking and choosing. But I think what they've done with Dustin May and Gonsolin over the last couple of weeks with the, the starters, the openers, the two innings here, it's kind of screwed with their confidence a little bit. I've got a shock to see it in the World Series, to be honest with you. The Dodgers didn't I did do not this all think year. That you'd see they the Dodgers five having starters. A, a that was opener. their strength. The strength of the Dodgers was having more, better. Starters than other teams and now you've You've wiped that away because if you Have Gonsolin you have May you have Urias Kershaw Bueller that's five Solid starters you know Tampa's only going to Have three use your advantage there The Dodgers did not do that 
I just don't, you know, I'm just not a big fan of the ripple effect that it will have for the duration of the series, right? You you want to you want to get the most out of your starters. That's always been the way managers have worked their pitching staff. You try to get five, hopefully six. Your better pitchers are going to get you maybe seven. Heck, back in the day, I remember when Jack Morris in the World Series, they went to extra innings, Gino. He gave the Twins 10 innings. 10 innings. So obviously we're dealing with a different world of baseball. Okay, fine. I get it. But I would have never thought that the Dodgers would be using an opener on the biggest stage in the World Series. And as you pointed out, against Tampa, who is kind of the inventor of this, it does make me wonder, Gino, as to who's calling the shots. Do you know how much Andrew Friedman's getting paid? Do you remember how much that contract extension is for? No, I didn't off the top of my head. Five years for $35 million. You have to justify your salary somehow, right? And, and, and they're, you look at the way the Dodgers are built, they, and if they win one World Series right now, I, I honestly think they're going to win like two or three in a row. I think it'll just be like getting the monkey off their back because you look at the way this team is built, they are not going anywhere. You're going to have Mookie and Cody lined up forever. Uh, if you if you re-sign Seager, he's going to be there. And then just look at like your, your starting rotation. You're going to have Bueller, Urias, Gonsal, and May for years, even when Kershaw's done. So they they have set themselves up so well with star power, with young talent from the farm system, with the guys like the Muncies and the Taylors and the Kikis that they've found from other places that contribute. He does an amazing job. It, honestly, there's just one thing left for them to do, Mike. What did uh, Jake Taylor say in uh, Major League? Win the whole effing thing? Yeah. Yeah. That is all that they have left to do. And uh, even though I've been a defender of Dave Roberts, I do think that David is right. They don't win the World Series. I called it Doc Rivered, but it's probably Doc Rivers. It's just easier to say Doc Rivered. I think he gets Doc Rivered. I really do. I think uh, if you don't close this thing out, Finishing second best is just not going to be enough in L.A. land. The question, though, is who... See, when anytime you have a great manager or a great head coach like Doc Rivers, and he is a NBA champion, so I'm going to put him in the great category. To me, you always have to have somebody better in mind, a succession plan, someone else that you could plug in. I don't really like it when... You fire somebody like that, and then you go for somebody that's kind of recycled or not the hot commodity. You have to outdo the person that you're firing. That's my take on it. So with that said, who would be that guy that you would put into place for Dave Roberts? I think the obvious name would be Cora or A.J. Hinch. These are two really good World Series winning managers. Now, I don't think that they'd go after the Astros, former Astros manager. So I think AJ's probably out of the question. But Cora, and he could bring elements of both power game, moving runners over. You know, he's he's actually somewhat of an NL manager in the American League with the Red Sox. Uh, I think he would really do well in Dodger land. But, hey, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. I don't want to make it sound like they're going to lose the World Series. It's only one game to one. No, it's bounce, and it's bounced back and forth. Yeah. And, and it's... This is the thing, what I've noticed, you know, being a Laker fan and a Dodger fan over the last few weeks is, you know, I'm in groups and on Facebook and different, you know, you know, Dodger and Laker. It's just, it's supposed to be hard. 
when you get this far It's not supposed to be easy Like you're not supposed to just win every game 10 to nothing You're not supposed to win by 20 in every NBA game It's not When you get this far You're supposed to go back and forth It's supposed to be a chess match in a series Of moves and then counter moves And then reactions to that move And I mean I am I don't like what they did with game two It almost sort of felt like the Dodgers were kind of Like okay well we know this isn't the Bueller or Kershaw game so we're just kind of okay With whatever happens they didn't feel like There was a, a real sense of urgency Until late in the game Which which was one thing that bothered me a bit but um, I mean I'm really pumped For Bueller Morton These two guys to me Are the epitome Of a big game pitcher They're very good all the time but in a situation like this, in a situation like where the Dodgers were at when they were down three games to one and they needed Bueller to come in and pitch awesome in game six, he did. I, I just, I knew he was going to do that too. And you can't say that about Kershaw because he has some good ones and some bad ones, but I just knew Bueller was going to lock down. He was he in a situation where it was bases loaded, nobody out. They didn't score a run He just digs down That's kind of who Morton is too This game should be a lot of fun With these two guys battling It really should But hey About Kershaw And anybody that's listened to this show For several years During this great Dodger run Knows that when uh, When warranted I've been very objective Very hard on Kershaw When he's done well I've given him high praise I think he has Lifted some of the negative postseason stigma about him during this World Series run. Yeah, I think he's, he's I, had the I, one. It would be really key to see how he handles the bigger starts as you get deeper into this series. If he wins, if he what's continues funny is, on the same trajectory, I think all is forgiven, Gino. It, what's funny is if he wins one more game, and if like if he wins Game Five, the Dodgers win, and they don't, and he gives up like three runs or less, he's going to be the World Series MVP because he's uh, going to have two. That. He's going to win two times in the in the World Series. He's going to end up having four wins throughout the playoffs, and it's the narrative, right? Like everybody would be wanting to vote for Kershaw to win the MVP if he had a chance. The the writers, everybody in baseball, they love him. He just hasn't had the opportunity to. He not not saying he hasn't had the opportunity. He has had the opportunity. He just hasn't done it yet. And if you look back at the World Series in 2017, it was kind of similar. He had the great game one. And then that game five was the game against the Astros. Remember where he threw like, what was it, 50 breaking balls or something and didn't get yeah. one swing and miss? Yeah. You know, which was the game that's been documented with all the banging. You you watch that guy that throws right there and you go, there wasn't one swing and miss? Really? Like, really? That's, you know, that. But th- this is his chance now. And Bueller comes and wins. And if Julio throws well, he'll have the opportunity to, you know, if if, if it's, you know, a game five where it's either you know, a, a two-two situation or a three-one to try to close it out. If he closed closed it out, he he would be the MVP. And then, you know, it would be he'd he'd start to become less and less of that guy. It'd still be sort of like Peyton. You'd still have the conversation when you talk about Kershaw. Man, he struggled a lot of those years in the playoffs, but he he finally won that one at the end, and he finally got you know that it would be part of it. But it wouldn't be like when I say Kershaw to somebody right now, they choke they do the choke, and that's just not really fair. It really it. It's really not, and so I'm, I'm glad he's had a three and one stretch in four games through the playoffs, where he's had, I think it was 31 walks to three strikeouts, and he's really had one bad inning, the the sixth inning when they let him come back out. And if he would have been taken out after five, you know, be, with the back spasms and stuff, then we his ERA would probably be under two right now, and it's I think it's two eight eight. So um, through four starts, one, one more good one from him. But uh, again, I'm not. 
I'm not anyone that's ever thinking that this is over. This is done. This is a one-one series. Tampa's very good, and the Dodgers better not be thinking that way either. I don't think they are. It it's just hard after a game one when you win. You're the favorite. You win impressively. You sort of you sort of want to feel and like puff your chest like you're the better team. And Tampa did exactly what they needed to do. They came right back and won. And they just kind of sucked a lot of the momentum and the life out of the Dodgers. Well, I, I honestly thought if that we were going to know a lot by this game too, right? It would tell us quite a bit. If the Rays came out flat and, and lost, then it's kind of that happy to get there type mentality. We're just happy to get to the World Series. But if they came and brought it and brought it strong and ultimately won the game, I knew we'd be in for a series I would not be surprised at all, Gino, if this goes all seven. No, me neither. They they are good. They have good three really good starters, a lot of good bullpen arms, and they have their hitting is struggled recently. So it's I, I don't that's a that's a little bit of a bad thing I think for the Dodgers because they're they're not as bad as they've been. They're not a team that's as good. Like their lineup isn't as good as as the Padres lineup or the the Braves lineup that the Dodgers has faced, but they're not as bad as they've been. They, they have four or five guys That can at any time break out of the slumps That they're in We saw it last night with Lau You know, Rosarena's actually been pretty cold in this series But, you know would, You just gotta be careful You don't wanna act like we're here It's meant to be type of thing I think with someone like Mookie it, it, that They won't think that way either Like he, every time it seems like They have a bad game or they get into a bad stretch He sort of comes back and fires And like Sort of picks the team up with his play on the field And and so I mean I, I think We're going to continue to see that Yeah Mookie Bats I mean There's not there aren't not enough Accolades to to be Able to get now, the guy and you 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 said it and it's One of those things where you don't Ever know until you watch every day That that's the thing he's that type of A player exactly and he, he's very Comparable to LeBron in that because He's somebody that you look at you watch Him and you you understand the greatness And they're great And yeah, they're in the top tier of great players But you kind of like, you don't know where to put them When you watch every play Every at bat, every time this guy gets on base Every lead, every The the little, the small plays You know, everyone remembers the, the great catches That he's made over the last couple games the, the thing that I remember, Mike Is that on third base That ground ball on contact he gets an amazing jump from third and he's probably the only player on the team that makes it he slides around the catcher and that's a huge turning point he does so many little things and i and he's just a calming presence you could tell everybody likes him they all get along i mean when the dodgers were about to get into it with the padres he was out sit down go sit down you know it was he just he he feels like a Dodger within a year already, and it's just awesome because he's he's not going anywhere. Yeah, no doubt about that. Gino, let's take our uh, final time out. We'll come back. We'll talk a little NFL and give out our Week 7 picks. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back. All clear. All righty. Cool. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
We're talking here about the uh, World Series Dodgers Rays going to get into the NFL in just a, a moment But so we have uh, looks like we're, we're set for game three with Bueller Morton That'll be on Friday Game four is going to be uh, Urias for the Dodgers And game five will be Kershaw So they have their next three lined up That would probably set up for a game six where they would have to do something like Gonsolin May again, or you know what, who's been pitching pretty well for them, uh, who who gave him a couple good innings last night. Alex Wood would also be someone that you could maybe start and see how far he could go. And then game seven would end up being Bueller. So as far as the way their pitching is set up, you know, you'd have to think Tampa will probably throw a bullpen game in game four. You'd imagine, um, you know, because Glass now threw a. A ton of pitches in game one he, he was pretty high up there I don't I don't think they'd come back in game uh, Four with him So he'd probably come back in game five So um, it's funny You look at this series And this series feels like a different series Because it does really feel like It's going to be a lot more about the pitching matchups Versus previous series Where with like the Astros It was you know their lineup How many are they going to score I think for the Dodgers With some of their previous opponents As I had mentioned It was can you Sort of calm the bats of the Braves and the the Padres, those lineups. So totally, totally different feel to this series. Yeah, no doubt about it. And look, if you're Tampa, and like you mentioned, you probably come back with Glass now in Game Five or Game. Did he say five or Game Six? Uh, you probably Game uh, Five because he started game one. Five. Okay, yeah. He, so because there's the day you know in between. That you've got they got the day Glass off in the World Series. Snell. Yeah. So if you you know you got Glass now and Snell, then anything that happens in between is is bonus. Yeah. So That's how you're there. feeling if you're Tampa. So if we could steal a game three this or a story, game four, we're in good shape. Three for them, it, it feels like is huge. Well, three for because especially for Tampa, I think it feels like is huge because we it looks like they're gonna have to in game four go to some sort of a bullpen game. So or not use their strongest th- one of their stronger three options, which are the three that we've mentioned. You know, Glass now, um, Morton and Snell. But if they're able to, if they're able to to win Game Three and go up, then Game Four for them is basically, hey, anything happens here, it's icing on the cake because they got their studs set up again for five, six, seven. Yeah, no doubt about that. But if they lose Game Three, then all of a sudden you're maybe thinking about put it, pitching someone on short rest for Game Four because you don't want to get down three games to one, knowing that you're going to be facing Kershaw again in Game Five. Sure. So sure. this, this three you know, look, I, I think if they want either, I know you're giving greater importance to game three. Your reasons make a lot of sense. There's a lot of logic there. I think if they can win one of these two games and come out of the first four games at two, two. Sure. I think they're feeling pretty good. Absolutely. Hundred, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You, Cause like you said, you got it. You cannot, I don't think they can lose these next two. I no. don't think you want to lose the next two, and then you because even if you're pitching set up, so is the Dodgers. The Dodgers are going to have a, a Kershaw in Game Five and a Bueller set for Game Seven, and so you're not going to want to have to beat them three times and know you're going to have to beat the, those two guys in particular. So, huge games coming up this weekend, ton of fun, and I'm you know I'm I'm ex- I'm I'm happy that it was the Rays and not the Astros. I mean, I I would have liked to to beat the Astros. But I just don't think I didn't want them to get there even I just didn't think they were deserving enough team to get there They were under 500 this year The Rays were really the Them and the A's were sort of the best teams In, in, in the American League throughout most of the year So um, hey you know, We landed if, on the best two teams in the finals We did, we did And, and that's what 
when anybody says anything about the asterisk or you know of course because it's a shortened season it this is a little bit different than basketball because basketball pretty much played their entire season but when you look at the way the playoff rounds have had to go what the Dodgers have actually had to play an extra playoff round they've had no home field advantage whatsoever i think that if if we looked at this and it was like the Astros and the Brewers two under 500 teams that somehow got there we might have said Something might have been goofy the way this went But when it feels like the teams that were the best are here I don't know how you could say there's any kind of an asterisk No doubt about that, Gino Speaking of the best or not the best We were talking during the break a little bit about fantasy I know we have a lot of mm-hmm. fantasy football players that listen to the show One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast Cindy Carava is a full-service realtor And can help you with all of your real estate needs you can contact her cindyc.realtor at gmail.com or the website cindycarava.com anything that you need at all if you need help you know just finding vendors handymen painters landscapers she can help you with things like that uh, if you help need getting pre-approved for a home loan she can connect you with lenders that she works closely with she covers san gabriel valley north san diego county del mar solana beach rancho santa fe Uh, this is a full service realtor we're talking selling purchasing and leasing any questions at all shoot her an email or just check out the website cindycarava.com Clayton Kershaw, four starts this year in the playoffs, 3-1 and one with a 2.88 ERA, 31 strikeouts, 3 walks, 200 batting average against. But it won't be Kershaw in Game 3. It's going to be all about Walker Bueller, then it'll be Urias, and then it'll be Kershaw in Game 5. Big thanks to Mike and uh, and David for the conversation earlier, and uh, thanks for, to Mike for letting me pull that from the show Earlier on Now we get into some racing Let's go to Friday And let's talk about Keeneland Let's jump to race number one at Keeneland On Friday There really isn't a ton of speed In this in this field In this group We have a group of 30 beaten claimers They're going to go a mile and a 16th in here I think you have to use the 5 Cantrell Hill Who's going to step up off the claim for Amos Is going to stretch out And there's just not a lot of other speed He could just end up on the lead by default. He's proven at Keeneland, and he's consistent. The outside runner, Believe in Holiday, should sit a good trip from out there, coming out of a a race behind Limonite, who won next out by six over at Thistledown. The four Urbanite would be the other one here. This one will come running late, and he's ultra consistent. So in the early pick fives, I'm I'm gonna play two different uh, pick five tickets. I'm gonna give you a little idea of how I'll, I'll approach them. One of them I'll single the five. The other I'll go four, five, six to get things started. In race number two, I will I will also go to the five. It's gonna be five. Five and five for me in the first three races to start at Keeneland. The five bold article, if you just toss the turf races there, she's in an obvious top contender. This isn't the easiest race in the world, though, so I'll have a similar approach. I'll play one ticket where I single the five, and on the other ticket, I will use one, two, five, and six, the two with the blinkers off, but I just, I don't love she fits. Uh, the the five obviously bold article and the six some would say the Canterbury Turf winner last time out is probably the one to catch from the outside but we don't know how far she it will go or really how good she is but you know if she has a couple lengths on the field she may be tough to run down in here um, more is more if you even wanted to go deeper the the turn back on that one is interesting but bold article 
for me is where I will start and then maybe spread out a little bit on a different ticket. The five in race number three is one of my better plays of the day that's on your mark. Last time out, he had a brutal start. He was just all over the place. He was eighth, nine off on the inside. Two starts back, he actually showed some speed. And back in July, he had a slow start. He was about eight lengths off, and he really got going late. He split horses for a very nice second. We've seen that he can come from off the pace. We've seen that he can show pace. I like on your mark. I'm expecting a bounce back effort off of that last one. On your mark, make sure to include in all of your exotics. The two, Soviet, is the one to beat. Just just absolutely no excuses last time out, though. But again, looks like the one to catch or to sit close. And then Eel Point is the other logical contender. Fresh, but a a little bit unlucky. Ran into some traffic there. I would be 5, 2, and 4 in race number 3. They're at Keeneland. The fourth race, nothing really too cute in here. The one Cecile's chapter would be my top selection. She comes out of a, a live race behind a couple next out winners, including a next out grade 2 winner. And she's proven going along on the grass, and she should be able to sit very nicely, save all the ground from the inside. Miss Spell, no doubt, is a you know horse I think you have to use, probably the one to beat in here. And the four, Pui Timing, who tries the grass for the first time, I will include with her speed. One, four, and seven for me in the exotics. And then race number five is a real spread out race. I just don't have a very strong opinion in that one at all. I'll be using uh, 1, 3, 5, 7, 8, and 9. So the early pick 5 uh, looks at Keeneland for Friday. In race number 1, I'll be singling the 5. Uh, 1, 2, 5, 6 with 2, 4, 5 with 1, 4, 7 with 1, 3, 5, 7, 8, 9. And play another ticket where I come back 4, 5, 6, single the 5 with 2, 4, 5 with 1, 4, 7 with 1, 3, 5, 7, 8, 9. The third race, the number five on your mark, I think a must use, and I'll make a win wager at anything around seven to two. In the seventh race, the number four, first wave, anything around nine to two, we'll make a win wager there. So I will be playing in a stable duel contest on Friday for these Keeneland races, and I think the race is where you may want to spend up for sure. Race number one, the five, I'm fine spending up there. Race number two, the five, I'm fine spending up there. And then in race number nine, this is an also a spot where I would be okay spending up um, with the number four, Lady Lawyer, who comes out of the Got Stormy race over at Kentucky, and she really does look like she towers over this field on paper. So those would be the races I'd want to spend up, races one, two, and nine. For me, the keys to the lineup would be my two best plays. Race number three, the five on your mark. Race number seven, the four first wave. Horses who I think are going to get bet down off of their morning lines, which are the horses that we are looking for in stable duel contest. Big weekend in stable duel. Actually, they've big week. They got new stable duel sweatshirts, new stable duel masks, new stable duel hats that you can purchase at stableduel.com. Two Keeneland contest on Friday, a $10 and then a $25 top 10. You've got a Woodbine and Santa Anita contest on Friday. At Santa, uh, on Saturday, you've got a Keeneland double up for $50. you have got a $25 entry. You've got a Woodbine contest and a Santa Anita double up. And then on Sunday, you've got a Woodbine for $10 and a Santa Anita $25 buy-in. That is a triple up. If you have any questions about Stable Duel, how to build your lineups, any of the details, let me know. Big weekend. We'll be playing in that Friday contest at Keeneland and the Saturday Keeneland and, uh, you know, probably a, a couple others. But the Keeneland ones will be where we uh, we have our focus for the next couple days.
Laurel Park Saturday. I actually got the idea to talk about some Laurel Park from Andrew Champagne and J.D. Fox for Champagne and J.D. show, a podcast I was on with them. They wanted to talk Laurel. I looked at the cards. I figured I'd discuss it a little bit on here because this weekend, Santa Anita wasn't great. Belmont, they had some okay New York Red Races, but I didn't really find a whole lot that I loved there. Even at Keeneland, I just found a few. So let's talk a little bit at Laurel. If you're playing the first, look at the seven. Who are you going to call? I think if you excuse the last effort and focus in on the August 27th two-back race, this horse fits with some of her turf form. She should be in the mix. Make sure to include her in your early exotics there at Laurel on Saturday. Move to race number nine. Now, what's important in this late pick four is you really have to keep an eye on the also eligibles, the horses who draw in off the AE list, because there are some key, key horses that are on the outside looking in. In race number nine... I'm going to single the 9 unless the 13's in the race. If Dundalk draws in, I'll be using 9 and 13 because Dundalk could be the one to catch. Nick Papa Giorgio is no doubt the most consistent, and I'm fine singling Nick Papa Giorgio if there is no Dundalk. So 9-13, if the 13 doesn't draw in, let's just single the 9, Nick Papa Giorgio. You move to race number 10, and in this one, you have... The 11, the 12, and the 14, all who would be major, major players if they drew into this field. And they're all on the outside looking in again. So I'm going to be using the two, Baptize the Boy, who's drawn inside one of the quicker in here. The four, Brilliant Chase, is my top selection. Love the big move he made from off the pace. And he's super consistent and very versatile. Can win in any in many different ways. The nine... Fear them um, for the moment. The the pen race back in July is the one that jumps off the page to me, and I think some legitimate excuses since the ten. Let's play nine, who is lightly raced with some upside and really could be any kind. Two, four, nine, ten. But again, if the 11, 12, 14 are in, you're probably going to have to take looks at at them and include some of them on your late pick four. We move to race number 11. I'm going to take a chance in here against the horse who I believe will be favored. That's Harper's first ride who won the Pimlico special. He earned a big figure. He's back in 22 days off of that effort. I think he may bounce a little bit, and I'm looking for horses who are going to perhaps be peaking and stepping up, like the seven, Top Line Growth, who will just be making his third start of the year, and I think he is ready to rock. He actually is making his third start in a full year because he he was off a layoff from September of 2019 to August of 2020. He loves this racetrack. He's drawn well, and I think he's going to be sitting just off the three. Monday morning QB, who was probably going to get the lead in here, third off the bench, the one to catch, toss the turf. He was behind Happy Saver, next out Jockey Club Gold Cup winner, who beat Older. 3-7 in the 11th at Laurel. And to close things out, good freaking luck in this one. Just a brutally difficult race to handicap. The two no-knock raid will be on my tickets. Out of some trouble last time out. Rule Yourself has probably got some of the better turf form in here. The six Bell Four, if he can just transfer his dirt form over, he probably crushes this group. Earned it, and Martini Kid are just consistent turf horses in here. The nine Air Token, if this one wins, I'll give an assist to Andrew Champagne because I'm adding him in because of Andrew's uh, tout on on this one, just coming out of a strong race and you know two a couple starts back and not bad turf effort on August the 27th. Go back and watch it. The 13 is is. It just a, a long shot in a wide open race that doesn't have to run any better than he's run on 
grass in a couple lackluster races. It just shows you this is not a strong stakes, but it is a fun race to dig into because you can make cases for and against everyone in here. Two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, and thirteen for me there at Laurel Park. So in the opener, race one, throw in the seven, who you're gonna call. And in race number nine, let's play some pick fours. Nine, thirteen. I'll I'll say thirteen just in case he draws in with Two, four, six, nine, ten, and don't forget about the uh, eleven, twelve, and fourteen if they if they get in the mix with three, seven, with two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, thirteen. Now it sounds weird, but we may even be singling in right off the bat if the thirteen doesn't draw in. One more time, nine, thirteen with two, four, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen, with three, seven, with two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, thirteen. It won't be that. Many because there's going to be some scratches there. That is Laurel Park on Saturday. Before we get to Keeneland, we have to talk about our friends over at Sierra Candles. The Sierra Candle Company, C E R A Candles.com, is the website. Their goal to create that candle 100% natural, clean burning, and the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. 25 different scents, three different sizes, instructions, details, how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. These are healthy. For you, better for you, all natural, soy wax, no toxins that are are found in the paraffin wax, which is used by other leading brands. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, you will get 10% off your purchase. Holiday season coming up. These are great gifts for any members of your family, your friends. You can get different scents. You can get different sizes for all of the the different gifts that you need. SarahCandles.com Promo code G-I-N-O Final bit of horse racing Keeneland Saturday Four plays over at Keeneland on Saturday For October the 24th Let's get you to race number 6 And we're going to start with the number 8 in here And that is Flags Up He ran a little bit better Than it looks on paper He loomed up to second And took a big shot at the eventual winner that day And the horse who, who won Put him away and then just kicked clear and opened up. And so instead of, you know, finishing second, flags up ends up backing up. That was going six and a half furlongs. And he was more like the second best horse in that race, honestly. Now he's going to be a first time gelding. He's coming out of the race that has come back to produce next out winners. The second and third place finishers have both come back to win next out maiden special weight races at Keeneland. I loved what we saw from from Flags Up. I think if it was anything around three to one, let's make a win wager on Flags Up. Cutting back six and a half to six. So many things to like about what we saw from him in his debut. In race number seven, I'm gonna take a, a swing here with the nine. Really don't know how good this one is, and he's gonna be coming in from Arlington. But this is a great spot, a, a really good spot. He is going to be putting three starts together. He's shown speed. He can come from off the pace a little bit. He's kept some pretty good company, and I, I like the, the taking a chance right here. If he's about 6-1 to one or so, I will do that with him. Mun Passage. We move to race number 8. It just feels like the stretch out is really going to help the number 1 in here. Visually, he just looks like he wants to go longer. He's not really bred all that much. Some of the direct siblings were better going shorter, but... He stretches out, he gets the inside draw, he's going to save all the ground and will produce a big late rally. The number one swing man, if he's around 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager on him. And in the ninth, the number seven, Lucky Jingle. I followed her last year uh, for a while 
and she was decent, and she showed up with some some good efforts. Now she has not raced from November to October the third. Came back on October the third. Was a fine fourth. Was way out of it early, and then moved into contention. Was wide, and I thought ran just like a horse who needed the race. If she takes any step forward at all, she'll be very tough in here. Lucky Jingle at around seven to two. Four horses do include at Keeneland on Saturday in some of your exotics and maybe to, to w- play a win wager on if you can get the right price. The sixth, the number eight, flags up around three to one. In the seventh, the number nine, Mun Passage at around six to one. In the eighth, the number one, Swingman at around seven to two. And in the ninth, the number seven, Lucky Jingle at around seven to two. Another one of our partners on that's what G said is Old Smoke Clothing. Make sure to check out their website, oldsmokeclothing.com. T-shirts with horse names, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats with big races, slogans. You can get custom designs. Show the horse racing fan in you. And because you are a listener of That's What G Said, you'll get a free shipping cost on your order. So no shipping cost, free shipping on your order. Saves you a few bucks. If you're a fan of Tis the Law, um, Authentic, any of the big name horses running, there are tons of gear, swag options for you at oldsmokeclothing.com. Don't forget about that promo code G-I-N-O. No shipping. Now, football. Eric joins us to talk NFL Week 7. Kick back and enjoy as we go through all of the Week 7 slate. Week 7? Is that right? What? In the NFL? We are just flying along now. Back again. He joins us quite often here on That's What G Said. ETOF 21 Sports. Eric, uh, how's everything going, buddy? Going good, man. No complaints. Finally got my Peloton and joined that thing. So there you go. There you good. go. And man, it feels like we've been flying through this NFL season. It'll probably slow down a little bit with you know baseball and basketball now stopping, and it'll be just football and college football to focus in on. But uh, we're rolling through this season, and some big news this week. Well, I guess the the, the biggest positive news heading into the week is that. Right now, it doesn't look like we have to have any games postponed, canceled because of COVID. There is an issue, though, with the Raiders and their offensive line over there. So that's something to keep monitoring. But at least we don't have to, as of now, have any games changed, moved around, flip-flopped. Because we've had a lot of changes over the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the Raiders game goes. Everything I've read and heard says the NFL is adamant about playing it. They flopped it out at the sun, the, the primetime game on Sunday, but, you know, we'll wait and see. Okay, let's get right into it. So uh, we won't talk the Thursday night game because it's actually, when we're recording, it's halftime of an ugly Thursday night game between the Eagles and the Giants. But we will begin right away with your team on Sunday, October the 25th. The Detroit Lions, they are going to be playing the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons fired their coach a couple weeks ago, and they get that coach bump fire uh, win like we get, we see most of the time last week. So it looks like the Falcons are about two and a half point favorite or so. Against the Lions, it's, uh, I think, 55 and a half or so on the uh, total. I feel that the Lions are being overlooked just because they're the Lions. They've had a double-digit lead in every game. Believe it or not, their offensive line is the highest-rated offensive line in terms of run blocking. They're playing great, and if they are able to establish the run, that's going to open stuff up for Stafford. They've committed to Swift. I tried to trade for Swift in every single one of my fantasy leagues, and, of course, no one would trade with me. 
first game, double digit touches, and more importantly, at four red zone carries. I feel that everyone's just kind of hyping up the Vikings, excuse me, the Falcons too much with how they looked offensively against the depleted Vikings defense. And we could tell with what the Vikings did today with that big trade they made with the Ravens. They're in they're in sale mode right now. They've completely given up on the season. I've already sent out to people that are part of my betting service, Lions plus three. We already have that slime locked in. Yeah, I think if you can if you can get the three, that's a a, a good spot to take. Is I agree with you. Like it's another team where you look back on, and it's been unfortunate for the Lions the last couple of years because it's kind of been the same story, right? There's a lot of games where they play better than it looks. They're up big, they blow lead, or they something weird happens. They they should have won a lot more games over the last few years. So um, not a bad spot here right away because you're right. People are, are going to be a little high on the Falcons. I just. I don't like the Vikings at all, and so I, I don't take really much away from that. And it, it, that was a great spot for the Falcons. This is a letdown spot for them after that big win. Uh, let's move to Pittsburgh versus Tennessee. In- interesting game here, Eric, because we have two undefeated teams still, and two teams that I've sort of tried to pick spots against th- early on because I don't know how great either of these teams are. Um it, the money has moved a, a little bit, right? Because it was Pittsburgh actually opened up as the favorite, and it, it's moved to Tennessee like minus one, minus one and a half, even in some spots. I think the total is fifty-one or so. Pittsburgh at the Tennessee Titans. What do you think? I mean, when we look at Tennessee, I think Tennessee—they're bluffs. Their first team. They should have lost to the Broncos. They should have lost to the Jaguars. They should have lost to the Vikings. The Texans they destroyed game. the oh Bills. Oh my gosh! And Last I mean, week. I'm still. I'm still bitter. I think I messaged you. I'm still bitter about yeah. that just because I, I they, they should have lost that game. They legitimately could have one win right now. I mean, I think they're a complete bluff. They lost Tyler Lewan on the offensive line. He's out, which is going to be a huge blow for them. So immediately the offensive line is going to take a step backwards. And also, they have some of the slowest DBs I've ever seen in my life. I really think that the Steelers, especially if Johnson's able to go, which I don't know now, they're going to, Big Ben's going to be able to have a field day throwing the ball all over the field. If I can get the Steelers at anything plus money, I'll be interested. The only thing, the only reason why I haven't locked in the Steelers right now is they have the Ravens the following week. Maybe. And I'm always really leery about playing the Steelers right before they have that big, big spot just because Tomlin is the us against the world and he's classic for these letdown spots. So that's the yeah. one thing that's keeping me away from locking in the Steelers. And the, and what may be a positive for the Steelers is that this Tennessee team being 4-0 being or 5 undefeated team maybe a team that they don't quite look past. So maybe they they look at them and they circle them too and go, okay, hey, this is a serious team. We got to at least come out and play well instead of just looking. You know, if this was you know maybe a a bad team, this could be a, a spot to play against Pittsburgh. I just feel like they're so much better than Tennessee. Like just looking yeah. at these two teams, I feel like Pittsburgh can go up and down on Tennessee, and I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to do that to Pittsburgh. Just with just the way ten, yeah, with the way Tennessee is built, if they get and they've showed us this before, if they get behind by double digits, they can't come back. Just with the way the team is built, just because it's so run based on Henry and yeah, Tannehill's putting up good stats, but does anyone really consider Ryan Tannehill a top ten quarterback? No, I don't. So yeah, That's- I. Let's get to, let's see, where are we going next, Eric? We are going to the Battle of Ohio, the Browns-Bengals. Browns-Bengals. Okay, so we we could tell pretty early on last week 
that Baker was hurt. You know, and so I I don't I don't really take a whole lot out of that game and and use it against the Browns. They feel like they were banged up early, and that's the perfect type of situation for a Steelers defense, right? If there's a quarterback that's a little banged up or something, they just they smell blood in the water. They go right after him. I don't really have a strong opinion uh, on, on this one either way. It's Browns minus three at the Bengals. Uh, total in this game is fifty-one. Do you have any strong leans in this one? With the way I bet and everything, I never bet road favorites of three or less. So that immediately takes me off the Brown side. Browns do have a lot of injuries. They're really banged up. And Kareem Hunt's not 100% either, which is huge for their run game. Um, people always remember the last, last thing they see when they bet. And everyone's going to remember that Thursday night game. This total is at 50 right now. The first half over-under is at 24. I'm going to be looking at an underplay. People are betting more overs with how the games are being played, so we're going to tr- start to see a trend of more unders. So this this weekend in particular, I'm going to be looking at a lot more unders, and this is one of the games I have circled. Yeah, this. so this game is uh, yeah around 50. What is that, 50 and a half or so right now? 50 and a half, correct. For the total. That's, uh, yeah, no real strong play for me. I feel like this this feels about right. I think the Browns are slightly better, but you mentioned they're banged up here. Um, this does feel like a spot for them to to bounce back and get a nice confidence-building win. I still think it'll be close. The, the Bengals and Burrow did get a little confidence. They showed they can move the ball, you know, last week. I think that was good for them as a team in general moving forward. But The one thing with the Browns, though, and I think since they're such a young team, like this year, they're only going to beat the teams they should beat. And anytime mm-hmm. they face like a Pittsburgh, a Ravens, they're defeated before they step on the field. Yep. I feel that they're so young and Stefanski's so inexperienced and hasn't learned how to game manage quite yet that that's basically going to be the Browns this year. Yeah. And that, they, that still could be good enough to get them, you know, eight. Eight or nine wins, but they they have to win those games. I kind of agree with you because I'm sure they look down the line and they they still see it a game against the you know the Ravens, game against the Steelers as tough games, and their schedules you know a, a little bit. It's not one of the more difficult ones left, but they 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 got to take care of business against a team like the Bengals. And um, I think I think it'll be close. I think the Browns win here. That's why I'll stay away because it feels like it's pretty pretty right on. One game, I think, um, if you can still find the seven and a halfs out there, I was able to get one of those uh, a little earlier. Look around for it. I would be okay at seven. Um, I like the Panthers uh, playing the Saints. I just think the Panthers are better than what we saw last week from them. We're, we're not going to have Michael Thomas for the Saints this week. Total in this one is 51 and a half. So I'll go to the uh, the Panthers side in here. What are some of your thoughts on this Panthers at Saints? Panthers, I I had the Panthers minus the one last week, and it was a brutal watch. Three of thirteen on third downs. DJ Moore had some awful drops. He had that yep. drop in the touchdown. He touchdown. He should have had drop in the third fourth down conversion. He should have had. They just looked out of sync. The one thing about the Panthers is they are playing a lot better defensively. They've only given they've averaged giving up nineteen points a game their last three games, and the Saints something's not right. In New Orleans, Mm -hmm. you have Michael Thomas getting in fights. You have Michael Thomas and Kamara before the season tweeting at Drew Brees about the whole standing for the national anthem. You have Thomas getting in fights with defensemen. You have Brees being subbed out in critical situations for um, Jason Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's just. Like, what the hell is going on? I agree with you. Like, I just can't, I can't lay any money with the Saints. And I mean, no. if you look at them, the Saints, honestly, and I'm still bitter about that because I had the Chargers in that game. They should have lost that Monday night game 
against the Chargers. There is no way they should have won that game. Chargers were up, what was it, 20 to 3? Mm-hmm. And then Bagley shanked that field goal to win it. This Saints team, in my eyes, is a complete bluff. And anything over the seven, I'm completely going to be invested in with the Panthers. Same thing. Like I think you you look at the way they and they beat the Bucks and Brady in Week One, and that was the perfect time to face Brady with a new team and a bunch of new pieces, right? Right off the bat, because that team looks much better. They're playing a lot better right now. I, I like the Panthers in this division. They're playing well right now too. I'm just I'm with you. I'm not really high on the Saints at all. The Panthers are going to be one of my plays. Seven would be fine if you're able to get that seven and a half somewhere. Definitely try to lock that one. In um, for the uh, the Panthers on the road playing the Saints. Let's get to Bills Jets. the The Bills are like a twelve and a half, thirteen point favorite on the road playing the Jets. This Jets team, Eric, they are so so bad. Like we, there are other bad teams in the league that we look around, and they the bad teams still can do certain things well. I, mm-hmm. the, the Jets don't do anything well. They're so bad. They're so bad. I, I still don't know how Gase is, is around. I have no idea either. I regret. I regretfully bet the Jets last weekend. I played Miami. them a few times this week too. And this year too. Yeah. When I went to the grocery store yesterday, I bought a handle of wild turkey because I know I'm probably <laughs> going to be betting the Jets because you're getting 13 at home on, on the road. The Bills are 13 point favorite. I'll That's be just... honest, like. I'm just not that big of a Bills guy. I really feel Josh Allen is very inconsistent. He's came back to the life um, the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's very inconsistent. Um, they rely on him to run so much. And when you look at a quarterback and his yards per carry, usually it's around seven, eight, because they don't run that much. Josh Allen is in the fours because they use him like a running back. And I just, their defense gives up huge chunk plays and yards. Anyone can run against them. Um, your boy Henderson had a huge game against them in the uh, Rams game in what was it week two or three? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who hasn't been able to do anything on the ground, had a huge game. So I just I just think they're kind of a bluff. And regretfully, I'm going to be on the Jets in the spot getting the 13. And your boy Sammy Darnold's coming back too. Yeah, that that's a big that's a big bump. And and I'm with you. Like I thought. I like the Bills going into the year a little bit more than I do now, and the problem with them too is their is their defense. It's just been bad. Like we were expecting their defense to always be their strength. That's what it's been the last few years. And then they would Josh Allen could make a play or two. They didn't really have a lot offensively, and it's been sort of the opposite. And then the last couple of weeks, I I sort of feel bad for the Bills because it does feel like. They have looked completely different since all this stuff happened when their games got moved around for the COVID stuff. You know, it, it almost yeah. feels like those t- couple weeks since then they haven't looked good. And they did run into Tennessee and and can and KC, so they ran into two solid teams at least. But I couldn't take the Jets. I couldn't. I could. I couldn't take the Bills for sure. I could. I could talk myself into the Jets like you with with Donald coming back. Um, any at anything over twelve. I just. I'm probably staying away from this one because uh, the the images of those bad, bad, bad Jets games are just. I lost, I think, on them a couple times early in the year, and I want to see a little something from them and Darnold before I get involved. But don't worry, Eric. I'm going to get involved on a bad team in the next one coming up. I'm going to get involved on the bad Dallas Cowboys. Let's do it because they are. This game is like a pick 'em now. They're playing yep. at Washington, and Dallas was so bad last week, and. When you have Dalton coming in, you need Elliott to be your workhorse. 
And he fumbled early on twice in the game and just completely killed any opportunity, any chance they had whatsoever. Washington's not very good. What scares me about this game, though, is Washington's one of their strengths is their their defensive line, and they may be able to really get after Dalton. So they just have to do a good job here of mixing things up. I still feel like the Cowboys, even with their their injuries, are better than Washington. And this has to be a game that the Cowboys are looking at and going, okay, we can lose like all of our other games, but we have to win most of these division games. Um, I, I'm thinking Elliott's going to have a big bounce back game too. So I'm going to play the Cowboys in here. I am waiting to see how much the line moves. I mean, it opened up at Cowboys minus three. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's down to a pick. And everyone remembers the last thing they saw. Cowboys lost four offensive linemen, but most of the people aren't going to realize that in that game. They're just going to see the score and just assume that, oh, my God, Dalton's in, no no Zet, no Dak. They're struggling. They're not going to understand because they lost so much up front. That's what happened in the game. And Washington, for me, I've watched the Washington games, and it's really weird to me what's going on there. I think Haskins is better than Allen, so I don't understand why Haskins isn't playing and Allen is. And then, to me, Antonio Gibson and Terry Terry McLaurin, the wide receiver, they're the only ones when they get the ball that actually seem to go forward. Everyone else in the team just kind of falls down as soon as they get the ball. I really feel like Washington's that team that – they're just trying to get a top five pick so they can get one of the top three quarterbacks. Yeah. I I kind of feel like they're not really trying to win as bad as it sounds. No, no, you're right. And it's, it's, it's a tanking without tanking, right? You're giving Allen an opportunity because you can say, Hey, we gave Haskins the opportunity and he didn't look good. So we're going to let this guy run, even though he may not be as good. And it, it comes down to play calling. Maybe you're not always calling the most beneficial plays for your team. Just little things like that. Um, I can't get behind Washington here. I'm going to give Dallas a chance to bounce back, just like you said, because this has moved too much for me. I, I still yeah. feel like Dallas should be favored over this Washington team, no matter where it is. The the original line felt more correct of Dallas minus three. If you're going to yeah. give me those three points, like you said, I'll play it right now and then hope this thing can move another point or two and see if I can, you know, get it, get a little bit more uh, value on it also. Yep. Let's move along We go to Packers Texans so the damn Texans That uh, killed us last week They're uh, at home they are a Three and a half point underdog So the Packers are a three and a half point favorite Both of these teams coming off losses The Texans coming off a brutal overtime Loss the Packers coming off a loss Where they just got their asses kicked to be honest That that game Flipped pretty quickly Like right after that Aaron Rodgers Uh uh, Kringle McKringleberry uh, Celebration touchdown dance And then not long after that Tom, uh, Tampa Bay just turned things on They are by football outsiders Who ranks uh, who has DVOA Ranked which is um, a, a ranking that's based on Taking all the plays into consideration Offense defense special teams It takes your opponents it weights everything It actually has Tampa Bay ranked as the best team In, in football by a pretty wide Margin and a lot of that is because their defense they have as the number one ranked defense and they have a better than average offense. Um, the Packers just got their butts kicked by them last week. Do they bounce back here, Eric, against the Texans? I can't play the number as is. I have issues with both teams. Number Me one, too. I really think the Packers, kind of like last year, are a bluff. Anytime the going gets tough, and we saw it last year, and I, I personally felt we saw it on Sunday, 
Aaron Rodgers is kind of sandbags and quits on this team. They get punched and they just don't punch and, back. And he does, yeah, he doesn't punch back. And I'll get to my I'll get to Nick Foles later because that was one of my points. But um, I just feel that as, when the going gets tough, Rodgers is just like, yeah, whatever, I'm done. He doesn't compete that hard. I think the offensive line has issues. Defensive, he's given up the second most points to running backs, fantasy-wise, averaging 31.7 points against the Packers. Texans are looking better offensively with Watson, opening up more, going to Fuller. There was just some coaching decisions that Romeo Corral uh, made, especially yeah. at the end of that game. Statistically, you are, if you're going to go chance to win the game, you're going for two there. I just don't understand. There's a what was it? It's like a 57, 52% success rate going for two in the NFL. If you're going to win the game, force the, force the Titans to score and then go for two and kick, and the, kick the extra point. Completely agree. Zero sense. And, and, and they, it, it, it's like, a, I think you can use it as sort of like a game to game, right? Like if you're moving the ball really well throughout the game and you're picking up big chunks of yardage and you've got all this momentum right then, then maybe, but that really like the Texans played well, but, but there were a lot of short down and distances that they weren't getting. They were like, they're not necessarily just cruising down the field in this situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you. I, I understand you, it would be nice to get up by nine. You really put the game away, but why not just take the eight, get it by eight, force them to score a touchdown and two to go to overtime. I, the percentages say that's what you do. It just makes does it didn't make sense to me. And then the overtime play, you have the three linebackers that are clueless to what's going on when Henry goes in the wildcat formation. A play that seems it hasn't worked since Ronnie Brown did it for the Dolphins. What was that? Two thousand five, yeah. and uh, no one was covering Tannehill on the outside. You have four guys completely lost in defense. You have two timeouts. How the hell do you not sprint down the sidelines and call a timeout there? And like, he was out coached by Vrabel, yeah, who did. I can't, Call, no, I can't back the Texans after that coaching performance for a couple weeks. Yeah, and Vrabel pulled that, you know, Belichick maneuver earlier in the right before the Texans got the ball back, where he sent a, one of his players on the field to get a penalty, which would actually stop the clock and ended up saving them like forty seconds. So they had he it was you could see it. It was it was damn genius, and I'm I'm yeah. mad because we bet against them. Where he the the players looking at him like, Coach, what are you doing? What are you telling me? He's like, No, stay out there, stay out there, and and he's making it. Like so obvious so that the referee has to call it You know make sure you see that there's a 12th guy That I'm talking to out there You know that was just excellent coaching there uh, By Vrabel Let's move to a game that now got flexed But we'll still talk about it right now The Seahawks-Cardinals game That is actually going to be played on Sunday night They've actually flexed that game now to the Sunday night game And they moved the Bucks raiders game up To uh, this uh, this time slate So we're going to get the seahawks Cardinals. Cardinals are at home. Seahawks are three and a half point favorite here on the road with Russ. So this is a fun divisional matchup here. These are two teams that I mean, the Seahawks are. They, you know, they think they can win the Super Bowl, and right now they probably look like one of the better teams in the league. Arizona, they've been a little Jekyll and Hyde so far this year, but they they've done a good job the last couple of weeks winning games that they had to win, beating teams that were depleted that they were better than. Is this a big game? To me, this is a big game for Arizona that they've had to circle and look at. It's a home game against a a big division rival. I think they're going to come and be high and and up for this game. Um, I don't really have a play though either way. Um, I would if I was leaning, I'd probably lean Arizona, but I just I'm I'm more interested in watching this one. That'll be the Sunday night game. For me, the way I look at this game, Seattle's coming off a bye, so obviously they've had 
not numerous times to more time to pay to prepare for Murray. Wilson is playing an MVP level. My boy DK is arguably top five wide receiver in the league right now. My issue with the Seahawks is their defense is awful. They're averaging giving up 33.8 points a game, which is worse than the NFL, and averaging giving up 415 yards, which is fifth worst. Numbers like that, I cannot support a team, so I'll definitely be looking for the Cardinals. And what is struck me is Clint, Cliff Kingsbury, their coach, is kind of like that kid who got the new toy in Andre Hopkins and started passing the ball more and kind of forgot about that old reliable toy Kenyon Drake. Last year when the Cardinals were playing their best, they were funneling everything through Drake, taking more pressure off of Murray. The beginning of the year, they were trying to throw the ball way too much. Mm -hmm. The last couple of games, especially against the Cowboys, they funneled the offense through Drake and everything just looked better. Now, granted, get- I know the Cowboys defense sucks, but everything just looks smoother. And I think that trend is going to continue where they keep funneling everything through Drake. And against this, this, the Seattle's defense, I have to back the cards. Yeah, it's like a perfect game to set you up moving forward when you play a team like that, where you can sort of, you know, this team's down. Now let's 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 get ourselves going here, and that's what it felt like Arizona did a, a little bit. And like you said, they were able to run the ball, and then they you were still. It's like Hopkins is quiet, and then what ends up happening is you get what Hopkins breaking free late. You know, for a big, big gain, and he almost broke free for a touchdown late. So, he, by running the ball, all it is going to do is just continue to open him up even more. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely be leaning that side. I'll watch uh, and, and at over three for sure. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go too much under three, but at three, three and a half for sure, I would take the uh, lean towards the Arizona side. Let's go 49ers, Patriots, Patriots minus two. Here, this is at New England. So the 49ers come off the win against uh, the Rams. The Patriots look really bad last week. Knock me out of a survivor pool, man. I had the oh. Patriots. I, oh. I'm in two. I had the Patriots in one, and I had Miami in another. So they kept me alive, but I didn't want to play the same in both. And I thought the Patriots were great playing at home against Denver. Um, they just they were bad, bad, bad last week. They could not block their receivers. Can't they, they don't have. Anything on the skill position they're so basic Offensively and, and and Cam for one of the first Times this year looked pretty bad he he made Some bad throws he was getting he was getting peppered A lot this one I'm, I'm Still waiting a little bit but it's one of those classic Games that you've mentioned a few times you have the 49ers who looked really good the last time we Saw them and you have the Patriots who looked really Bad the last time we saw them so you Would imagine most people are probably going to Want to play the 49ers side Exactly this is the game I love you have the 49ers who are Sunday night standalone game. And you know, they, they kind of handed it to your boys. They kind of yep. handed it to the Rams. Yeah, No, they did. Absolutely. Um, but they lost their best running back Mozart, um, which I really feel is going to hurt them because their running game with him, not in there, even though it's a Shanahan running system still doesn't look as clean as it does when he's in there. So that's a strike against them. They also aren't going to have Bosa. And pro athletes are a thing of creature, and which we all are. You have the Patriots, who are the most structured team in the NFL. Their facility is shut down numerous times. So you have all these players that are just depend on getting rep after rep after rep after rep after rep. And they weren't practicing. They weren't together. So that I can kind of, in my head, see what happened against Denver. Why they were a little Denver. sloppy. They're just, they were... Yeah, because every team in the NFL – 
you and I both know when it comes down to you're going to do this 100 times to get it right, it's the Patriots. Yep. And they didn't have that for, like, what, 10 days? So, of course, they're going to come out and look a little sloppy against the Broncos. And that's what everyone's going to remember. And people probably forget that Drew Locke came back. And that offense is completely different when Drew Locke's there. So, I mean, the line opened up at Pats minus five and a half. You're getting, you're getting three and a half able, points already. Yeah. Oh, I was able – I got an alert on my phone when it dipped down to one and a half. And I sent it out to everyone that's a part of my service. So, me and my guys, we locked it in at one and a half. I believe yesterday. Nice, nice. So, yeah, uh, Pats. Uh, to me, anything around like anything under the three, I'd love. You know, I think they're going to win this game easily. But anything under the three right now, if you can find those twos, you know, Eric's got a got a one and a half out there. That's great because this this one feels like a real big bounce back game for them. If you if they're not going to if the 49ers can't run the ball, and and Jimmy G, who knows Jimmy G's weaknesses? Belichick, yeah, <laughs> you know the exactly. guy who the guy who got him ready, and so he. He's good, you know, Jimmy G's fine when things go well for them. He's kind of another one where when when something goes a little bit wrong, that the the floodgates start to open sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely on the Patriots side here. This is going to be one of my plays this week. Let's go Chiefs at the Broncos. So the Broncos just beat the Pats. We talked a little bit about that game. The Chiefs are a nine and a half point favorite on the road in here. Total in this one is 46. Um, KC, Denver, one of the afternoon games. Uh, where do you go in this one? Um, I, when I look at this game, Chiefs added Bell because Edwards Alaire can't score inside the, in the red zone and running between the cackles. How is that going to affect the chemistry in the running back room? That's the first thing I look yep. at. Um, and then in every game I've watched the Chiefs, the only quarterback shockingly that has been able to expose this was Derek Carr. The Chiefs blow a lot of coverage in deep, in deep, in deep uh, pass patterns, and Derek Carr was able to take advantage of that. I really feel with the playmakers that the Broncos have, and you get Drew Locke starting, who has proven that he does have a cannon and will sling it, I feel they'll be able to take advantage of that. And an interesting stat I found, the Chiefs have never scored more than 30 points versus the Broncos when the home has been the quarterback. So it's not... The Broncos know what he, Mahomes is and what he's going to be able to do and how to keep it in check. I think they're going to be able to stay within the number because the, the Broncos' defense is playing a lot better. And you're playing in mile high. So even, the, you know, that's a three points for the Broncos with McManus anytime they cross the 45. So I really feel this game is going to be a lot closer than people think, and they'll easily be able to stay within the nine and a half. Yeah, I would, I, I'm, I'm definitely leaning on the Broncos' side. And no doubt about it. If there was a ten that popped up too, that would be awesome. Um, I, I the, you know, we talked about how you know teams that that feel like they had something missing, um, and, and it's it's funny to say this about Kansas City because they've they've been you know winning, but they they kind of feel like there's been something a little missing too. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, they they do, and and that doesn't mean there's plenty of time to to right the ship, but. Yeah, I, I would I would lean Broncos in here. A side note, just was watching off to the side as we're recording this on the Eagles Giants game. Daniel Jones broke this run. He it, like a 60, 70 yard run, and he was like 20 yards ahead of everybody else, and he just got gassed. He just got oh so tired and he tripped and he fell at about the 10 yard line and he tried to kind of get up and crawl, but it, it was really funny. I'm sure you'll see this. I mean, he was off to the races, and I think he just 
got winded and his legs started getting short. It was it was pretty funny. So uh, and he's probably gonna throw a pick the next play. I'm sure because it's it's oh god it's first and goal like on the ten and you know it's coming next. So um uh let's get to just a few more games left to talk about. I think we have three more left. Let's go to Jaguars at the Chargers. The Chargers are an eight point favorite in this one. Total in this is forty nine. So we got the week one win from the Jags, but since then they've sort of looked like the team that everybody thought they were going to be coming in. They just they they're just not very good. Let's be honest. They're just they're just not very good. Um, the yeah total what forty? I say forty nine on this one. Um, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I mean, Herbert's looked a lot better. I got to give them credit than I I thought he may ever look. He he's done really well so far. But he, you mentioned the the Saints loss. This team finds ways. This Chargers team to always be in a game late. No matter if they're a 10 point dog or a 10 point favorite It feels like every game they have coming is coming down to the final drive One way or the other And I, I don't like laying the Chargers in spots like this where they're heavy favorites This Chargers team has given me more alcoholism than any <laughs> other team this season Because I mean I had them plus the points and the money line week two against the Chiefs They somehow lost that game and they're up I had them week, what was it, week four, was it, against the, the Bucks, money line and points, and they lost. And I had them against the Saints, money line points and lost. And it just, they just always find a way to lose these games. And it just blows my mind. And, I mean, they could easily, they're one and four right now. They could easily be four and one. The only game you can say where they completely got outplayed was the game against the Panthers at home when they lost 21 to 16. That's the only game they got outplayed on. They were up, what was it, 24 to 7 against the Buccaneers. And yep. Anthony Lynn, for whatever reason, you have a rookie quarterback and you have a rookie running back because Eckler had gone out. They called that that halfback dive. And there was a missed exchange, fumble. Um, Bucks go on and score. Game completely flipped. And what they're doing is they're getting these big leads and then they just don't let Herbert throw the ball. And when the defense knows you're going to run first down, second down, and pass third down, that's easy to stop. And that's exactly what they're doing with Herbert. And Herbert, to me, Herbert's a lot better than I thought. But the one mm-hmm. thing that Herbert does is he's a lot like Prescott. He won't throw a, a wide receiver open. He will throw when they're open. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have those – he's going to have, like, ten, like, oh, damn plays, and then, like, three plays during a game when, like, what the hell are you doing? And that's Justin Herbert. I, he's better than I thought he was, but he's not that elite no. guy. Great. Um, the thing with the Jaguars, the Jaguars are going to be starting rookie Ben Botch, who had the worst pro football, pro football focus grade last week. And the Chargers line is getting Ingram back, and they have Bosa. It's sitting at 7.5 right now. I mean, if I can get a seven, I'm going to lock in the Chargers. I'm yeah, just kind of like, waiting for that. Hopefully, I'll get some money coming in from the Jaguars. But if not, I'll just kind of sit out. At, at that number, I would take the Chargers. I, at two scores, it would it would scare me a little bit. Eight eight would because they just they feel like they're always in in these close weird games. Like you said, they're just a snake bitten team too. Uh, two games left. So the Bucks at the Raiders. This game has actually moved to earlier in the day. And we do have some of those concerns about the Raiders. They're really their entire starting offensive line is sort of up in the air right now, Eric. And the Bucks are a three and a half point 
favorite uh, It's even up to four now in some spots And I'm sure if we continue to hear more news About their offensive line out This thing could creep even higher Especially after the Bucks coming off of a, a smoking of the Packers I know a lot of people would probably be leading to Tampa side And they, you know, Godwin and Evans are back Gronk's starting he, He's not physically able to Maneuver like he used to But everything that you throw to him he's going to catch He's still got the same hands as he That he always has and Brady's been fine Their defense is really good this is a spot A lot of people are going to look to to play Tampa Um so I I mean It's it's hard for me to be really Uh crazy about either Way without knowing how much Of that offensive line and how many of them are going to be Out I mean the big thing with the Bucks is the Bucks lost Vitavere, the defensive lineman, and I mm-hmm. think that's really going to be huge for them. When you lose someone as good as him, that's going to force the other people to get attention. And with the, I'll use the Colts as the example. Um, the Colts have uh, DeForest Buckner and Leonard. It's obvious when one of them is out, their defense isn't that good because the offensive line can double the other one. And that's, I feel, what's going to happen now when you don't have to put all your attention on one guy. The secondary guy is going to be forced to lift up, that being Namak and Sue. And this isn't Sue from the Lions. This is an older Sue. Is he really going to be able to control that defensive line like he used to? I don't think he will. I think the Bucks defensively are in a little trouble moving forward. I don't trust their offensive line. Their running game, I mean, I don't trust Fournette. I don't trust Ronald Jones. And I don't trust Brady to make the throws. If I knew the Raiders were fully healthy, I would be fully locked in in this three and a half. And I think it would even grow, grow more just because everyone, like you said, is going to remember the game the Bucks just had. But with so many issues with the COVID-19 that the Raiders are having, you can't do anything right now. If you, yeah. like, if you like the Bucks, now's the time to lock in the line. Because mm-hmm, it's going to go up more. Yeah. Look for the three if, and a half if you can get it. You know, is, is the Look for yeah. the smallest you can get because the other way. And I'm with you, like... If you if you see a bigger one out there somewhere, and maybe you want to take a little small swing on it because you like the Raiders side, like if you see four and a half, or even if like there's a five on your side or something big, maybe take that if you like the Raiders side, and you just kind of keep your fingers crossed and hope that they they are able to get healthy. But like you said, it's just I would if if there was no COVID issues, I would be on the Raiders side here. For Raiders sure. are a lot better than I thought they were. I yeah. mean, like their their offensive line is playing great. They're running the offense through Jacobs. The car doesn't like you pointed out last time I was on. Carr just doesn't turn the ball over. No, He's not going to make these silly throws that a Daniel Jones or Carson Wentz, whatever the hell that was, mm-hmm. in, the, in the first half in the Knights game. He's just not going to do that. You know, he's you can rely on him for ball control, and their defense is playing better. This team is going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs if they make it to, and their offensive line is healthy. But with the situation, I just can't do anything. Yep. Let's get to the Monday night game. This, I mean, just instantly right off the bat, I do not like the Bears at all, but this still feels too high to me. It's Rams minus six. Uh, the Bears are coming to play. The LA Rams total in this game is forty-five, and I mean, I, I'm a Rams fan. I think the Rams probably win this game. They. The funny thing about the Rams is they uh, they have four wins against the NFC East. <laughs> that's that's who the four wins for the Rams are. <laughs> the yeah. four NFC East teams. Uh, that's it. So. We it's it's really hard to get a gauge on who this team is and how good they are because we all know that the NFC East is bad. So I, I still think they win, but that just feels like a lot to me. I don't like Chicago. I'm not going to play this game at all. I'm just going to watch. But because uh, some of the games where the like where your teams are in, I, I I'm like this 
instantly felt like a game I would I would play Chicago, but I don't like Chicago. So I tell me, Eric, do you have a strong opinion here? I mean, here's the thing with Chicago. Everyone knows that guy where he's they he just kind of shows up, nice guy, great guy. You know, you can just kind of go through the motions, but comes crunch time, he will grit his teeth and he will compete like a mother effort and he'll put you in position to win. And that's Nick Foles. I mean, Nick Foles is that guy. And the perfect example is last week. He looked awful against the Panthers. But at the end of the day, he put them in a position to win and he got the job done. And that's the thing with this Bears team. And I will, it pains me to say this because I'm not a Nagy guy. This team has no talent. Their offensive line is awful. They're all basically the only guys that aren't gadget players are David Montgomery, who I totally think is awful now because he can't outrun a defensive lineman, Allen Robinson, and the rookie from Tulane, Mooning. Everyone else on the offense is just a gadget player, but Foles is going to put you in a position to win. This number is way too inflated, but this offensive line is bad, so I do think Donald's going to be able to get pressure. In my world, the way I think is I always like to be a week ahead of the action. Next week, the Rams play Miami. I'm really hoping that the Bears straight up win or the Rams win like an ugly like 17 to 14 game because two is going to be over bet as is and I can get the Rams next week in Miami. That's what I'm really hoping for in this game. I'm going to stay away, but my perfect world, that's what would happen. So... Going back over this week, um, some of the plays that you've either locked in or ones that you uh, you're going to, or maybe you're looking towards. Give us, you know, a few of the ones that you're really high on this week. I mean, me and my guys, we already locked in the Lions plus the three. Love that one. We locked in the Pats minus the one and a half, and we're just waiting to double digits on the Broncos. Eric. E Toft Twenty One Sports. Uh, thanks, man. And now uh, g- coming up, I'm going to be doing even more football. So um, I think when uh, when we have you back in a few weeks or so, maybe we'll do even a little uh, a little fantasy segment or a little DFS segment or something where we can kind of go through some uh, some players for the week to look at who have some nice matchups and and uh, it'll be it'll be football. Just going to cruise in for a while with college and with the NFL because. We baseball is in the World Series. We don't really even have an, a, a date for the NBA to return yet. I think they're looking at sometime between um, Martin Luther King Day, the end of January, I think, and uh, and like March. So right in between then. So um, we'll be focusing a lot on football, man. Thank you always for coming on. Thanks for all the hard work. Um, give the folks out there your your follows on social media. You do a great job with your podcast. You do a great job just. Posting big sports news, write-ups, all sorts of things. Let everybody know where we can follow you. Uh, you can find me at etop 21 sports on Twitter and at etop 21 sports underscore on Instagram. Thank you so much, Eric. Folks, don't go anywhere. We got plenty more here to come on That's What G Said. A big thank you to Eric for jumping on with us uh, again. One more time, reminder of some of my plays. Steelers plus one and a half. I'll, I'll play that money line. Panthers plus seven and a half. Cowboys are a pick em, And the Pats minus two. Those are my four plays. Coming off a one and two week. Got to get back on the, the winning track this weekend. Folks, I hope you have a great, great weekend coming up. Good luck in the races that you play. Good luck in uh, in the games that you play, in your fantasy matchups. If you're a, a fan rooting for a team out there, thank you for tuning in to That's What G Said. Remember to uh, download, subscribe, rate, 
review, share the show around with your friends when you can. We're all over the place where you get your podcasts, and we're going to close it out with Joey Cleveland and the That's What G Said theme song.